Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a copy of God's Word, please put a hand up and volunteers are going to bring you a Bible right now. If you do not own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Take it home. Everybody, let's get on to it in Acts chapter 2. And while you're looking for Acts chapter 2, I'd want to say a little bit about giving. If you've been around church for a while, this is a tale as old as time, you know this, but I want to bring everybody along for the ride. Special offerings can be the bane of the existence of church leaders. Because special offerings, usually you communicate, hey, there's this important ministry opportunity, this exciting thing, what have you. And how many of you guys know that you have to get through somebody's heart to get to their wallet, right? The head is not enough. So special offerings usually are something really emotionally impactful, an exciting opportunity, what have you. And people give... And if you are or have been in church leadership, you know the headache that's coming. Those of you who know Tony Matresha, he, he talked to me about this immediately as soon as I got here five years ago. When we pass around a plate for something out of the ordinary, what can happen if we are not careful and purposeful is we immediately create a budgetary crisis for the ministries we've already said yes to. Are you with me so far? You and your, in your family, if you just all of a sudden decided up and go on a vacation that you were not planning, if you do it, if there was a windfall, if you got a tax return you weren't expecting, then you know where the money's coming from. But if there was not a windfall and you just decide to go do something, how many of you guys know that you get back from the vacation and you kind of have to figure out that problem, right? Okay? So I'm saying this not because we're taking an offering today, but I think that we might uh, as we roll out uh, a suite of ministries that are going to be called We Heart Citrusites, ministries that are expressly uh, driven in their design to serve the people of our city, as we roll some of those things out, we have something going on called a calendar. Our budget year starts April 1, so the budget is already in place, and we're going to have some ministries that are going to have incidental costs here and there, that if I told you what they, and I will, told you what they were, you'd go, oh man, that's really important. We need to make that happen right away. And I'm, I'm, I'm communicating this early. If you grew up being taught faithfulness in giving, if you grew up being taught tithes and offerings, and you have some Old Testament constructs of what it is uh, to give, then you wouldn't even think twice. You know if there's a special need, I'm giving above and beyond. But I just want to communicate to you practically. If you normally say, you're whatever your family, and you give $500 a month, and I come up here and I share this exciting new ministry, and you give $200 to it, and you put the other $300 in the silver bucket, you just created a small crisis, a small... $200 problem for the leaders that they, we have to deal with. Does that make sense? Okay. So I want to encourage you to be faithful and consistent and purposeful with your giving. If you're married, you talk with your spouse, and as a team, you decide how much you want to give in a particular month or in a particular year. And when the leaders bring something to you and say, hey, we would have this baked into the budget, but it's brand new, so it's not in the budget, that's, this is what we're going to be saying. If you've got margin, if you don't have margin, you don't have margin. Maybe, maybe you're just barely making it, right? 
But if you've got a little bit extra, there will be some things over the next few months, and I don't think they're gonna be gargantuan, but there will be some things that will be very emotionally, spiritually exciting. Hey, I'm glad our church is doing that. So I'm just putting you on notice in advance. If you've never been taught uh, the practicals of, of a church budget, we don't need to get all excited and then, you know, how come the kids' ministry doesn't have any money? Well, you gave it away, <laughs> right? So... Um, just say that in advance. So the silver bucket, for those of you giving through cash or check, is at the back center table. These are the online ways to give. Thank you guys for your faithfulness. Maybe uh, what I said right there was the first time where I put you on alert that your leaders really do need stability from you. So thank you uh, for future faithfulness and consistency. Um, there are no sermon notes. There are sermon notes in your hands, but there are no slides today. We're going to be tackling the sermon of Peter that flows out of Pentecost. So in case this is your first Sunday, let me catch you up real quick. A few weeks have passed since Jesus was crucified, buried, risen again. A few more weeks pass by, he ascends into heaven, saying, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit, and you are going to uh, do things and proclaim things about me. The, the church is going to be an extension of my ministry. I'm not going to physically be here. The Holy Spirit is going to allow you to do these things. And then Spirit comes just like Jesus said. And supernaturally, this 120 or so saints are able to speak in languages that they do not know. And people around are wondering, what's going on? We're hearing the praises of God in languages that we uh, speak from our native lands, but these you know, uneducated Galileans, they don't know what's up. Uh, how is this happening? And God uses the miracle to draw people in, asking this question. And Peter stands up and says, I'm so glad you asked, right? Every preacher ever, all we ever wanted was a simple miracle or two to draw a crowd. That's all we ask, Lord, right? Peter has an opportunity. And if you have a background in church, uh, if you've seen Peter through the Gospels, uh, how beautiful, how exciting, how redemptive. Has, has Peter opened mouth and inserted foot a time or two before this point? And so it's worth thinking through at least a couple of things one, has he been walking with Jesus for three and a half years? Yes, that's got to amount to something. Two, if you betrayed Jesus right before he got crucified, would that have an effect on you? Would that humble you a little bit? Even when he raises to life and restores you, are you always going to have just a, hopefully a little bit of humility, right? I heard a wonderful sermon almost 20 years ago talking about Peter's shadow healing people when he walks by. That happens later in this book. And the, the preacher's whole point was, if you want breathtaking, jaw-dropping ministry, first you're going to have to screw up in some pretty colossal ways because God will not share his glory with another. Peter's shadow is healing people and he remembers betraying his savior. Peter's heart and head got set on straight, you know, got put on straight before he was able to walk in very real power. So the crowd in verses 12 and 13 are either perplexed and seeking or perplexed and ridiculing. Those are the two responses to this miracle. Peter stands up, verse 14. 
Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. You have to love that he's like, we're Christians, we don't do that. No, he's like, no, 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 it's just too early. Um, so, verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will, be turned, will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But whoever calls on the name, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this isn't in the notes because we're, we're not covering this topic today. But I want to remind you in case you were with us through the series on Daniel. If you study this week, and I hope you do, if you go into Joel chapter 2, you will see Peter expressly saying, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. And yet, as you go farther down Joel chapter 2, you see things that clearly have not happened yet. Right? And this is par for the course with prophetic literature. God will say something 800 years before Christ. Christ's birth will fulfill part of it. Christ's ministry will fulfill a little bit of it. And then you start reading other things where you go, that sounds like the end of the world. You and I are not privy to God skipping 5,000 years in between a breath. Prophetic literature works that way all the time. All the time. You will see stuff that Jesus did or that happened in the early church. And then you see other things and you're just like, I'm not sure that's happened yet. Okay? So give yourself grace. People with degrees upon their degrees with, who know very big words study and study and study, and they don't all agree, right? When the ones with degrees can't agree, we should just all give ourselves grace, right? Okay, the moon has not been turned to blood yet, as far as we know. I, I, I saw it last night, okay? So just give yourself grace in the way you interpret these things. Don't you love, despite all this fear, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Back to Peter speaking, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew, so again, as well know, it does not matter that these folks aren't from Jerusalem, okay? Devout Jews of means were called by Mosaic law to be in Jerusalem three times a year, and Jesus has been serving for three and a half. So a whole mingling of Jews has been happening in Jerusalem three times a year throughout Jesus' ministry. The stories have, tra when a rabbi claims to be God, raises a small army and gets killed, that makes the news. But when the rabbi doesn't raise an army and the lame can walk, Right? Okay, so don't, don't, millennials, don't go, the whole, oh, the internet didn't exist, so nobody had heard it, like, nah, nope, word traveled. So that's the, as you well know, verse 23, but God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Christian, do you believe that? I know it sounds brutal. If anybody killed God besides God, then he's not God. 
It had to be his plan. Or we're stronger than him. Don't say an angry mob is stronger than Jesus. That's nonsense, right? Okay. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. I'm not sure Peter went to Bible college because I don't think this is how you draw a crowd in. Okay, verse 24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. The the, the 22-year-old who hadn't been to seminary, he's whipping out Bible verses. Don't you love this? What can happen when the Holy Spirit fills you? He was a fisherman. This is what David said about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Now he analyzes it like a champ. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried. His tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, to God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For God himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, sorry, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, he brings it up again, Mm. to be both Lord and Messiah. He's the Lord over you, not just the Savior of you, right? Both. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Was that a foregone conclusion? Any votes for yes? Any votes for no? Not sure. Can truth come toward the human heart and the human heart just stiff arm it? Yeah, we're we're, we're good at that. So, that was not a foregone conclusion that their hearts would respond to it, but it pierced hearts. They said to him and to the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Again, this is a culture that counts men. 
Anybody here ever taught Sunday school? And at the end, 3,000 people got saved? I gotta work on that. Holy Spirit, teach us the word that you've given to us through our brother Luke. Holy Spirit, teach us what it was that you were saying through our brother Peter that day, 2,000 years ago. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom that only you have to offer us. Make us just as in love with the risen Christ as Peter was in this moment. Surrounded by Romans. Surrounded by the ones who could and would crucify him the same way they crucified Jesus. And yet he has power and he has boldness. And God, we confess that we are not surrounded by soldiers with ill intent. And what we play the coward over and over again, Lord Jesus, we need your spirit. We need power, we need boldness. We need our heads and hearts set on straight that there is a war going on and it's not a culture war and it doesn't involve bullets. It's not a race war, it's not a class war. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ versus everything else. Convince us, Jesus. Transform us by your word over the next 20 minutes, lest we walk out of here as hearers only and not doers of the word and thereby bring dishonor on your name. We thank you, Jesus for answering that request with a bold yes because you always transform your people when your people seek to be transformed. God's people said, in the great name of Jesus, amen, amen. Grab your notes and a pen. The gospel includes a revelation of both God's identity and humanity's. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, it includes a revelation about both God's identity and humanity's identity. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. But God knew what would happen, so he knows the future, wow, and his prearranged plan, he determines the future, what, what, is this bigger than big, Peter is telling the crowd how to be reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus Christ, and guess what, Christian, you can't do that without talking about who God is. It's not possible. Look at verse 23. You can't do it without talking about who people are. Uh, oh, with the help of lawless Gentiles. Gentiles is a word that means you're not ethnically Jewish. Lawless, you don't have the moral 
rules that were given at Sinai the way Jews have. And so you do all kinds of things that are wrong. You nailed Jesus to a cross. You killed him. Oh, I skipped verse 22. I apologize. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. So you want to know what's the difference between Jesus and every other rabbi of the first century? God has made it really, really clear. That's what those miracles were for. Okay? And then verse 23. Uh, you were lawless and you were a tool used in the sovereign hand of God. You killed Messiah. Peter's talking more than once about who we are apart from God, and he's talking more than once about who God is. Um, I'm trying to serve you right now by pointing this out. One, it's right there, obviously, in the text, but this might be one of the most important things if you love Jesus Christ and you're living in 2023. Living in 2023? Okay. If you want to tell your brother how much Jesus Christ has loved him through the cross, if you want to tell your next door neighbor how much she is loved by Jesus Christ through his cross, I'm about to do some deconstruction and I'm not trying to offend anybody, okay? I was raised in the church. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might very well have gone through evangelistic training. And I just wanna submit to you that the training is even if it's amazing, it could be rendered semi-irrelevant within 15 or 20 years because culture changes so fast, since the internet in particular. So I'm not criticizing you, I'm not criticizing your Sunday school teacher, I'm not criticizing whoever was your pastor 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You can do something that is so relevant in 1992, go through a little class and, and learn how to share the gospel with somebody but what if culture changes at a lightning fast pace the next 30 years? You might need to keep asking yourself, as Paul did when Paul at Mars Hill looks around and sees the gods of the culture and he uses that as the starting point for how to communicate who God is. What if God walked through Athens and those gods had been swapped out just 10 years later? Would Paul have to alter his approach if the culture worships different deities? Say yes. The spiritual starting point of the people he's trying to serve, he sees the starting point based on the gods around him. This is why I tell, Christian, I love you. I'm glad you listen to Christian radio. I'm glad you listen to worship music. But if you don't have any friends who are apart from God, Start by turning on Mix 96 and have a legal pad out and a pen and mark the major beliefs in the first 10 songs you hear. It's a cheat sheet for the culture. Go online and say, what were the top five grossing films last year? Go watch them if it's not sinful to do so. Ask yourself, what is the central message of this film. Like, this is what people are drinking in. This is what people believe. Today, in 2023, nobody's talking about how to be reconciled to Jesus by the cross. Everyone's talking about identity. So let's connect some dots. The zeitgeist, the, the belief 
today, the oxygen that we breathe today is that freedom is defined by the individual getting to choose who they are. I am not free unless everybody, the government structures, the people around me, my friends, everybody has to let me choose my identity. And this makes the evening news with the LGBTQ community, which is ludicrous because straight people do this all the time too. Republicans do it. Democrats do it. Old people do it. Young people do it. We're all doing it. And what has happened when we say, I get to give myself identity? We've said, God, you don't exist. We've said, God, you don't matter. We say, God, you have not spoken into this. Maybe you created the world, but you've set it loose ever since this functional deism. We are ripping God's rights out of his hands, out of a distrust that he did not earn. When, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when we rebelled in the garden against God, did God do anything to earn that level of distrust? He had done nothing wrong. This is why we are all participants in the sin of the garden. All of us are participants. God has done nothing wrong, and just from this distrust that was a willful choice on our part, we say, I'm not gonna trust God to pursue my greatest happiness because I believe I love myself more than he loves me. I'm not gonna let him define me. Why would I do that if I love me more than he loves me? I am more trustworthy than he is. I am going to define me. Brothers and sisters, you're not going to get very far communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends now in 2023 if you cannot clearly, winsomely, but boldly talk about who God is, who I am. One of the most important things the church can say today about Jesus Christ is that absolutely yes, here's the offensive part, Jesus tells us who we are. And Jesus doesn't apologize for that. Jesus contradicts our will and our desires because Jesus sees rightly that our desires can and will kill us. We think that us getting what we want will give us life. That's how I'm going to live the life that matters. This is how I'm going to find joy. This is how I'm going to find fulfillment, self-actualization. Brothers and sisters, don't ever, ever try to smooth it over with your friend and say Jesus wasn't offensive. Don't ever do that. Jesus was so offensive. But how incredibly loving is he if he's right? What if us going our own way is a disaster? So really, this just divides the world into two groups. I'm doing it my way and I still think everything's fine, or I've been doing it my way and it's falling apart. And I can see that it's falling apart. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount saying, blessed are those who understand and see their own spiritual poverty. That's the beginning of his greatest sermon. Still relevant 2,000 years later? So uh, allow me in lightning fast, I literally put it in three sentences. Write this down if this serves you. This, to me, 
by all means, shoot me an angry email if I missed something. This is the foundation for how evangelism should be communicated today. Two, three, three sentences. Ready? God's identity is holy. That's his identity. So you gotta talk about holiness because the culture has no idea. Your identity is rebel. You have rebelled against that holiness. God's identity is love. Not he has love and not he loves according to your definition of the word. He is the source of all love in the cosmos. So he died to do what? To make your identity forgiven. Forgiven is an identity. Rebel is an identity. Think of it as an epoxy glue. How does epoxy work? Be not work. So two chemicals that is if you mix them together, they get sticky. If you keep them apart, however, you're gonna have problems. If you talk to somebody who you love deeply and tell them who God is and never, ever bring to bear the fact that they have rebelled against his holiness, you have not served them. What if you're that jerk on TV who's all hellfire and brimstone, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, but haven't established the holiness of God or the mercy of God exhibited in the cross? Christianity is God bridging the gap between God and man. You have to talk about both or you haven't gotten anywhere. You have to talk about both. Here are your blanks for your note takers. Here's your next step. Gently push against friends' notions of God and self. You're gonna have to push, but you need to be gentle about it. Gently push against friends' notions of God and self. Both need to be deconstructed if you're going to serve your friend. Their notion of God, God just wants me to be happy. Brother and sister, you need to tear that down. If you love the person you're talking with, you gotta tear that down. There's so much objective evidence that that's not true. Really? I think you've suffered an awful lot in your life. You're telling me? (laughs) Beliefs about self. Probably the most destructive belief about self is that I am the point. So if God exists, he essentially exists to make a big deal about me. Um, all kinds of crazy beliefs that need to be gently but firmly pushed against because they are all houses of cards. You don't need to grab kerosene in a match. Just gently push. Uh, I've shared with you guys before, I I got to be uh, in a Starbucks. See, because all great things happen in Starbucks. Uh, 2011, got to talk with a guy who I did not know from Adam, but sometimes you just run into people that are very comfortable talking about really deep, really serious things. And he had shared briefly, which, I mean, who doesn't? He believes in moral relativism. He's like, oh, I'm a relativist. I I believe, you know, which is, you know, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me. And um, I just very quickly, I mean, this is the Holy Spirit because I'm not that smart. I just said, you know, we were at um, 
Alhambra and O, if you know the area. And there's a stoplight that could not be less than 10 feet from the corner of the building, just right there, and we could both see it. And, uh, and I just interrupted him real quick, and I said, okay, so that's cool, that's cool. And, and culturally, we all like that. We like that flexibility, but I think that if a man was drunk and ran this red light, T-boned a car, and in that car was your daughter, and you killed, he killed your daughter, you probably don't want to hear him rattling off about how to him red means go. And he immediately goes, okay, no, no, you're right, you're right, that makes sense, that makes sense. Like, it's a house of cards. It's a house of cards. We, we, we try to keep God away. We want to keep God's rules away from us, so we say, I get to determine my own right. Until somebody runs a red light and kills your family member, then you all of a sudden are crying out for justice. From where? From a governing authority bigger than you that gets to determine that there is a thing called a green light or a red light. Our culture is screaming right now. There that, that's the worst thing ever, except it keeps us alive. Two, the way a Christian should share the gospel depends on the spiritual understanding of their friend. The way a Christian should share the gospel depends on the spiritual understanding of their friend. So I'm going to say this real fast. Peter's crowd was not just ethnically Jewish, they were religiously Jewish. You and I, we sometimes, sometimes, maybe, get to talk about Jesus Christ with somebody who would identify as a Jew. And not just in a general cultural, no, they, they, they read Torah, they study, went to school, all of that. So everything from God's rights as a creator his loving call of Abraham, his creating of a people, saving that people despite their rebellion multiple times, all of those things already being in place. Are you kidding me? How rare is that for your coworker to have all those building blocks in place? That's a rare bird indeed. So I'm trying to be fast with this. You might need to start with conversations that start, I don't know, where the Bible does, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, and just a few words in, you already might not be on the same page with your friend. Whoa, 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 I have some thoughts, okay? And this should never lead us to a place of whining or complaining or blaming them. They're in the spot that they're in. It is what it is, and you have a sacred privilege if they're willing to have a conversation with you. No complaining that America used to have a pretty decent biblical knowledge. The average person 80 years ago grew up going to Sunday school, maybe sort of on average, and that's just not true anymore. No whining. Anytime you want to whine, open up the book of Daniel. I want you to think of it as a foundation to a house. If you uh, went to a property where you were told hey, this is a teardown, they tore it down to the studs, there's nothing there but the foundation, here's the blueprint, the original blueprint, you're just gonna rebuild the original house. And you show up, and it's an empty field, there's nothing there but dirt. Do you have a problem? The foundation being there or not being there changes the game plan, doesn't it? Totally changes the game plan. My concern, and this is not a criticism, I just want this to be in your noggin, 
I do not want us showing up to our friends, trying to serve them with the fourth piece of information that they need when one through three are not in place. That make sense? We serve the friend that we have, not the friend that we wish we had or that we thought we had, right? Here are your blanks. Next step, listen to your friends. Those are your blanks, listen and friends. Listen to your friends so you know what foundation they do or do not have in their worldview. Listen to your friends. Ask big questions about their heart and their perspective, and they will tell you what's in place. They'll tell you, including their pain points. When somebody shares a prayer request, they are often telling you their worldview. Oftentimes. This is what I believe God can or cannot do, what will or will not happen. I'm on my own. These are foundations that are there or missing. An example, and again, this is not a criticism, but this has been so part of evangelism in the last 50 years. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that God would let you into his heaven? But in 2023, your friend might say this, I don't believe in heaven or hell. And then you say, uh... Right? You just done brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> what happened is, you came in ready to put up the beams, and you're on the land, you've got all the stuff that you bought at Home Depot, and, oh, there's no foundation, this is dirt. Third, because I'm already out of time. Clearly, this should have been a month-long thing. I, I love evangelism, praise the Lord. Um, the norms of today are not simply a cultural disaster, they are a spiritual one. Your blanks are cultural disaster. The norms of today are not simply a cultural disaster, they are a spiritual one. Uh, and and I, um, I just want to put forward to you that cultural problems are so easy to see because the evening news is always complaining about what other people are doing, right? If it bleeds, it leads, you know what did not show up on the evening news last night? 7.2 billion people did not get shot last night. And it's factually true. Praise the Lord, 7.2 billion didn't get shot. Look at that. Like, if you wanted that to be your headline, it would have to be a satirical newspaper because nobody would... Read, they would, it would be kind of a cute joke. You would laugh and then you'd move on. You had to tell me the real news. Guys, we have had one cultural disaster after another, not since an election, not since a cultural shift in the 60s that tried experimenting with sexuality. We have had a cultural disaster after cultural disaster after cultural disaster since a woman was in a conversation with a snake and she reasoned with him and her husband stood there silent doing nothing. Culture is what do human beings do when they are not acted upon by an outside force. That's culture. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to train them. You don't have to whip them into a frenzy. What will naturally happen if they are left alone? And from that moment, we have naturally rebelled against our creator. You didn't have to teach your toddler to be selfish. Anybody here had to teach them selfishness? Figure that one out? No. 
The cultural disaster is what is so easy to see, and so we complain about it, and I want to submit to you, Satan is winning in your mind because you're barking up the wrong tree if you're trying to fight a culture war. You're barking up the wrong tree. Do you know what Disney put out in their last movie? I'm like, I'm so glad you started praying for their CEO's salvation. You know Disney isn't just a logo, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who God loves. And maybe a majority of them don't know that yet. So I'm so glad you started praying for their salvation. Hopefully the churches down in Burbank and Buena Vista are taking seriously loving their neighbor and some Disney employees are gonna hear about the love of Jesus Christ, right? Is that the difference between a culture war and a spiritual one? If you're concerned with that person's soul, you're on track. If you're concerned with something else, you're missing it. You're missing it. I'm, I'm not saying that we don't carefully look at what media, what messages we allow our kids to consume. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like there are people behind the art. There are real people. Fight the war Satan does not want you to fight. Fight that one. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to skip. No, I'm not. I'm going to just say it really fast. Um, the illustration I had planned for this, uh, my cancer symptoms. If you're new, got diagnosed with colorectal cancer about a year ago. And man, have I been given, uh, I've been taken through the ringer in analyzing what is a symptom and what is the root, right? Those are not the same. And asking myself, is modern medicine addressing one and not the other? Is it addressing both? Like, what, what's going on here? Um, let me just say, it, you know, when you're sick, you, you feel this at the most. You want the pain to go away. You want the suffering to go away. So you're more tempted than ever to address the symptom and not necessarily address the root. Right? Um, and that is always going to be an opportunity for distraction in the church of Jesus Christ. Your enemy would love to get you distracted with the fruit and not the root. The root is that people don't know the God who made them. That's the root. Here's your blank. Refuse to complain to God about a godless America more than you beg God to save America. Just refuse. Get angry. Put your foot down. I will not complain to God about a godless America more than I beg him to save America. I skipped verse 40. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, okay? Which is not as time-bound as it sounds to you and me. He's saying the culture is broken, it's perverse, it's crooked. Save yourself from it, save yourself out of it. And his answer for how to save yourself from a perverse culture wasn't to go and change the perversity of the culture. It was the blood of Jesus shed on a cross for every man, woman, and child. Guys, enough people get saved, do you think the culture will change? Actually, that's what the last book, the last book of the Bible says culture shifts in a big way. Why? Because a bunch of people got saved. Riot at Ephesus, why? Because so many people have been saved that culture shifted. Okay. Lord Jesus, we need you in a big way. We're fighting uphill against so many things we've been uh, programmed to think and to feel and to believe. 
And we uh, declare today, God, we want to believe more than anything else that it is the gospel at work saving everyone who believes, Jews first and then Gentiles. God, we have read that verse so many times, and yet we find ourselves so distracted. Oh, God, would you please make us into the evangelists you would have us to be? God, for those of us who are exploring faith, would you help us to please see in this passion and intensity in Peter's preaching that there is a Savior who loves us deeply. God, help us to respond with faith to that Savior. God, I I say this on repeat, but I really mean it. I hope my sisters and brothers will, will pray it with me. Make us the church you want us to be. Please, Lord. Now we ask for your Holy Spirit's filling, God, because we're gonna need boldness to proclaim. We want to operate in power the next six and a half days, not simply in our day-to-day life, but Lord, we've got a bunch of kiddos to proclaim the gospel to for the next five days. We thank you, God, that these kids have faith that is stronger than ours. And we thank you in advance, God, for revealing yourself to them through great Bible teaching and through a loving Christian community that serves them. God, give us energy the next five days, even if we're a little bit down on sleep. God, if we've got extra energy, get us in the game to help and to serve. Help us to receive this opportunity as a total blessing. In the great name of Jesus, we pray.